Growing a business is hard, but it does not have to be. Once a week, we take a break from the hustle and bustle in business to talk about innovations and what's new in the C-suite. This is the Fractional C-Suite Retreat, and I'm Joseph Frost. Pull up a seat at the fire, grab a drink, smoke a cigar, and just join me as we relax, learn, and get inspired. This retreat is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow with better marketing strategy. Welcome. Today's guest is a marketing executive. She has 25 years of experience successfully managing go-to-market strategies for, for startups and high-growth technology companies. She believes strongly in working collaborative, collaboratively. She likes to use big words. And uh, she is a CMO uh, at our company, your CMO. So welcome, Stacy Kamagaki. How are you? I'm well, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Good yeah, time. it's great. It's always good to have one of our one of our own on the show. Uh, and I say that um, a little bit in jest. You're you're definitely your own woman, uh, but glad to have you on our team. Awesome, thank you. I am too. <laughs> so uh, um, let's get started. I know that um, the question I like to pose at the beginning of the show is is simply what what's an opportunity that you see that uh, you think other C-suite leaders uh, should know about? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that. And one of the biggest opportunities I think for the C-suite today is building more intelligence into their business, right? And leveraging data across all areas, across all departments to, to basically um, one, collectively make decisions, um, share more information and insights um, across the teams so that um, people can bring more buy-in, um, you get everyone on the same page, and they can even ask more relevant questions, bring their perspectives to the conversation. How do companies do that? Ah, great question. Um, you know, I'll draw from a little bit of my experience um, in a few of the companies I've recently worked for. And of course, as a uh, head of marketing, you know, I'm going to look at the marketing discipline first, right? So for example, um, you've probably heard the term data-driven marketing, and that's been around for a while. And data-driven marketing really focuses on understanding the buyer, right? What are their preferences? What are the, what's their uh, profiles, their needs, and, and even the behaviors, right? We start to really track their behavior throughout the buyer journey. And this helps us bringing in that data to guide marketing strategy and the programs that we invest in. Um, it helps us drive bigger ROI because we have that data to say, here's what's working and here's what's not. So that's just on the marketing side, right? So we look at, um, you know, where they buy, um, as well as, as how they buy. And it's really interesting um, over the course of, of my career, for example, um, I know when we started, when social media became a big thing, right? But I sell B2B. And so um, the main platforms that we used to spend money and market in were LinkedIn and Twitter, right? And so, you know, most recently over the last several years, we've had, you know, people ask us, agencies ask us, well, what about Facebook and Instagram? And we're like, that's, you know, great for B2C, but not really for B2B. Well, do we really understand any shifts in the buyer behavior? Because a lot of feedback that came to us from those experts who maybe tried it out with other organizations did find that there was more and more um, activity um, success in, in, in those platforms. And so I think it's, you know, understanding your buyer, having that those data, um, data-driven insights, but staying on top of that 
um, and keeping pulse on maybe shifts in the market and the way that the buyer buys. So that's just a marketing example of how, how I usually bring that in early in um, to an engagement. Yeah. Well, really from a marketing side, there's so many more metrics than there ever have been. Yeah. And so sifting through the data and, and understanding what the right insight, or not insights, but the right metrics are and, and, and gleaning insights, um, no easy task. So what, what do you tell somebody who's just got information overload? Like, how do I make sense of this data? I've got it all in front of me, but how do I make it make any sense? Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's, that's been um, something that also has evolved because, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, big data, big data was big, right? And um, so we were hearing a lot about that. But um, I read an article recently about, you know, we need to look at small data, small data groupings, increments, and, and, and to help us make decisions in a very focused way. And so um, I would say you don't have to look at the vast amount of data and drinking from a fire hose, but really hone in on the things that you think can move the needle. So I talked about, you know, marketing. And the other thing is, um, you know, very important is really that collaboration across the C-suite. Um, so once I put the marketing metrics in place, um, you know, just the last few companies that I've worked for, you know, I also collaborated a lot um, as, as they grown, grew to see the value of data, you know, on the client success side, right? We, we need to look at the customer experience feedback they're in touch with the customers. Are we solving problems if issues come up? Um, what's the net promoter score? You know, those type of things really help us. And because in a service organization where you add services onto the technology, they are um, a key touch point because they're customer facing. So a lot of the data they can bring back um, post-sale um, is also very valuable um, to the marketing and sales department, but also to, I think, the business as a whole. Um, and then again, on the financial side, so, um, you know, marketing and, and CFOs sometimes, um, you know, because we like to spend and they like to pull back, it's really important to collaborate um, to really understand. So what is the financial um, leaders looking at, right? The last one, for example, um, was in uh, recurring revenue, MRR software. And so some of the things that they were looking at were, you know, the customers, where were they coming from? Um, were they coming from the channel or, or from um, the uh, direct? You know, what was the mix of current customers? Were we upselling to them versus net new? Um, and what's the lifetime value? Are we increasing those sales? So again, there's a lot of interconnected data, um, but that directly impacts sales and marketing and the growth of the company. It's um, marketing spanned lots of different areas of the business. Yes. Uh, operations, sales, uh, you know, we don't really you know, impact the financial side, but they certainly <laughs> can impact us with budgets and expectations. But um, it can be like the the glue, if you will, or the source of all data truth could could live in the marketing department if, if you wanted it to, because it does incorporate so much of the different areas of the business. Um, do you see in your experience that marketing is used as that kind of bridge or is it marketing usually more silent and they just bring them in when they need leads? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, and again, I think that's why that's one of the biggest opportunities right now is because it isn't traditionally used that way. Um, I also, I think you're facing some different obstacles, whether it be systems, right? There's different systems that are capturing the data you need to make sure that they are all talking to each other. 
right? Whether it be your, um, you know, support tickets and those type of things and the different reports of client success runs um, to, um, you know, QuickBooks or some of the larger um, ERP systems that's holding the, you know, the revenue information. All of those need to be able to um, talk to each other. So system level, you know, you need to have um, that foundation built. Um, when it comes to the different decision makers, um, I think all of the C-suite needs to have ownership in different parts of that to make collectively and collaboratively to make decisions together. Um, I think marketing can help. And I think if you have a data-driven marketer, um, they can bring expertise from, you know, past experience. So it's one of the nuances of being a fractional CMO is you are not in the organization uh, as much uh, or like sometimes even physically in the organization like other C-suite leaders are. So does that compound the problem with uh, marketing getting its fingers into things and and uh, getting access to the data and, and showing data as a valuable you know, res uh, valuable port, part of marketing, um, or is it indifferent in your experience? Um, I I think it's indifferent if you can show the value of data. If marketing can, and, and again that's, that's where I start, um, but if marketing can show some data insights that are impacting the business, right? I, I look, I, I think it's really important to look at some of the metrics, uh, typical marketing metrics of um, how many visitors to a site, how many clicks, those type of things. But I, I drill further into where is that leading to, you know, leading us, right? What are the conversion rates from a sales perspective? Sales and marketing have to um, align and they have to work very closely together. So, you know, what are the conversion rates throughout the buyer's journey? Um, so those are some of the metrics that we have to uncover and we have to share to the leadership. Um, as Because I wear two hats, right? As a CMO, I wear the marketing hat and that's very, very important to help drive business um, and um, increase sales. But I am a chief officer, right? So I also have a business hat and I am part of the executive team that all of us should care about ways in which we can move the needle. And so I think, um, you know, marketing, if we have a seat at the table, can demonstrate the value um, that we're doing with very targeted um, programs driven by data and what our buyers prefer then I think we start to build that credibility and that trust. And then I think there's ways that other executives, because they, you know, again, they care. They want to want the company to succeed. They want to be part of something greater. They too will start to look at, oh, well, maybe I should be, you know, looking at these KPIs, these different metrics to see. And then as we start to share that, we could see how that interaction takes place as well. Yeah. What are some of the insights that uh, the customer experience data can give to the marketing team to help with lead generation? Yeah, well, one example I gave about social media platforms, right? So um, it's, it's really about where do, where do I invest? Where do I put my money? And so um, to have those um, customer experience insights to really ask the customer, right? Because if, if we don't, then we're making a lot of assumptions, right? Uh, we think they go to, uh, they, we think they open our emails. You know, we think that they uh, go to these different platforms, um, those type of things. So we, we guess on what their behavior is. Well, what if we asked 
those those different buyers and and found um you know patterns um nuances those type of things so that we can say you know based on collectively uh this group of buyers they basically buy through the channel okay well maybe we need to invest in our channel programs um, maybe we need to bring awareness and sales enablement because again I'm I go B2B tech right so it's a big investment most likely 200,000 and above in the investment so they often turn to trusted advisors well who are those right um especially for smaller organizations who maybe don't have the brand recognition um you know the path to the customer may be different yeah and I I I know we um we we internally at URCMO, we spend a lot of time understanding the buyer journey. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we'll interview with new customers in the last six to 12 months to understand what those newer customers' buyer journeys are. But also, I know a lot of times in marketing, we're doing net promoter scores and trying to understand how um, a current customer uh, feels about the product or service. And there's you know, besides NPS, there's other there's other surveys that we do, and there's other uh, feedback that we get from an existing customer. And I'm just curious, like, is there valuable insights to be learned from existing customer experiences that can impact lead generation and conversion? Or is an existing customer, you know, once they're a customer, their buyer journey is the only thing that we wanted to learn from them. Everything else that happens afterward doesn't impact bringing a new customer in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think all of the data is is important. And current customers, um, you know, some could be as as new as a month ago, right? Um, really understanding, you know, who all was influenced in that buying decision. And I think it's really important to keep a pulse on that as time passes, right? So not looking, probably not going to take data or valid use consider the data as valid if it was from customers who purchased 10 years ago right and they're just using our system say storage right data storage right using our system but those within the past few years especially because i think it's really important to uh, try and have that recency and that relevancy of the different buying options that are available to buyers um in today's world yeah i know um when we talk to prospects about our service and we share with them that we do these uh, customer interviews, the first you know, feedback we get is, oh, we, our customers love us. And it's, it's rare. It, then, then we have to explain, well, that's not what we're interviewing for. We're interviewing to find out how they found you and what challenges they were uh, facing when they went to look for you. And because um, a business owner, their mindset is customer interviews is all about how well they like my product or service. And a marketer's lens is oftentimes different, which is how did you find us and how we find more people like you? Um, but are, is there feedback about how well they like our service that's valuable to marketers? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that right? Our service, is it, it's the product, right? Um, same with, uh, you know, if, if we really bring in all departments, right? It, and I... Um, haven't mentioned HR yet, but the people, right? And hiring and having the people and, you know, having them all in, right? That they feel part of an organization. They know where it's going. Um, they're 100% behind it. And that comes through in every experience, every touch point with the customer. So absolutely um, is important to understand 
um, how their experience went, went um, and um, how satisfied they were. Uh, because one, you know, will they buy again? If they're MRR customers, we have to worry about churn. You know, there's competitors out there and you can, you know, change in a month, uh, less than. And so, um, so you really need to take into consideration all of those aspects. Marketing's job is not done. And everyone in the organization is a marketer. Um, marketing to um, a client and selling to a client is, is never done um, in the current client base. I'm seeing more and more is actually your bread and butter. And so you really want to protect that. I think that's, that's the big aha that a lot of um, people miss about marketing is, yes, we can bring in leads and that's our focus. And of course we have to, that's, that's one of marketing's major responsibilities, but also extending client lifetime value by reducing churn, looking for opportunities for upsells or new products or enhancements. Like marketing can play a big role in that, which may be a more valuable role for some companies, especially B2B tech, mm -hmm. you know, retention and churn and um, client lifetime value goes a long way in ultimately valuing the, that company in, in, in the light of an exit or other uh, purposes. But those numbers might be more important than net new customers. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think from an entrepreneur perspective, Joe, right, you, you, you think about, you're always thinking about new things, new ideas, right? And the best marketer I know of is Jeff Bezos, right? I mean, he has, right, everyone's standard is Amazon, right? And so what was he when they first started? It, it isn't what they are today. And it's always that continuous improvement, what new services, you know, what, you know, ways that I can engage my current customers. And, the, you know, one of the last companies I worked for, over 80% of our sales for that year were new services, new products to the existing customer base. And I, you know, again, I, I agree. I think that's untapped sometimes. Yeah, completely. You're, yeah, one of your greatest assets is the existing customer base. Um, new customers are much harder to find, much more expensive to find than retaining an existing customer. The, the, the data is super clear on that. You touched on recruiting. And I, I, I think recruiting is just a marketing effort and the products, the company and the prospects to hire. Mm -hmm. uh, recruiting has gotten really difficult lately for a lot of companies. And if you put your marketing hat on, what kind of advice would you give the, the, your, your, your CEO or your CHRO uh, peer from a marketing perspective to enhance or help the recruiting efforts? I, you know, I honestly think that what employees are looking for today um, has changed so much. Um, I think they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. I think they want something that they can bring value to, that they are recognized and rewarded. I think culture is such a big part of recruitment right now. And um, so I think it's be, I, I definitely think it's beyond marketing. I think it starts with the CEO um, and, you know, having someone for me, right. And someone with a clear vision, someone that, that communicates that very well. So I can see and, and agree with, yes, that's, that's what I want to be a part of. Um, I believe in that company. I believe in its products and, and I want to be a part of that. So I think it starts within. Um, so HR and CEO are a big part of that. 
Um, and then um, just communication, um, you know, having um, building and amplifying that culture and um, leveraging that. I think that's where the marketing can come in and work real closely with those uh, key stakeholders to amplify and get that out of the market from a recruitment perspective. Uh, but, you know, very much like a buyer, right? Buyers do a lot of research before they purchase a product. Employees do a lot of research before they sign up to, you know, join an organization. And you've got a lot of those glass door, they're looking at reviews, right? And so what, if we look at full transparency, you know, of companies and, and, and such, you know, what is, what are the people who are part of it saying about it? And, um, and, and so I think that is so important to um, hopefully bring the best um, and offer um, a really great environment um, for, for these employees. And then I think recruitment's easier and hopefully retention as well. Yeah. And certainly the type of employment has changed. I mean, we are in a fractional uh, executive space and it's, that wasn't, at least in marketing, that wasn't around five years ago. I mean, it wasn't mm -hmm. popular. Um, how has that changed in your view Mm -hmm. uh, an employer's access to really great talent at, at a mm -hmm. price point that's, um, you know, a fraction of what a full-time mm -hmm. person would be. I think it's exciting. Um, I, um, you know, if you look at my career, I've worked for smaller organizations, SMB. And so what I'm excited about as with fractional CMOs is it brings, and I, I should, let me go back. I, I've always liked the challenge of making those smaller guys appear bigger. Right. And the, the internet helped with that. Right. But appear bigger, you know, a lot of capabilities, a lot of, you know, smart team members, uh, customer oriented. Um, and I, um, I just um, really appreciate that opportunity to compete with the big gorillas out there. I think fractional CMO, fractional uh, positions help as well because, you know, the enterprises, they can afford to bring in the in house C suite um, at, you know, the SMBs, they can't. And so how can you tap expertise and, um, and experience? Because that you, you can't get that just by giving someone a title. It really comes over time. And so, you know, with, with the fractional um, C-suite, you have the opportunity to really um, take some of the most talented people out there um, and, and their expertise. And I've worked with a lot of them. We have the peer-to-peers, right, on, on your CMO. And I'm impressed every week of, you know, the different levels of expertise and that they bring. And, and that's what, um, you know, businesses will be able to tap into. And um, again, I think it will just help them propel their business um, without a huge, you know, um, cost um, for them. As we're going into the... Um you know, what looks to be some sort of recession, the fractional option for talent uh, becomes even more appealing because cost is a real consideration. And mm -hmm. uh, with the fractional model, you can leverage somebody's expertise uh, in a way that you, you can't by trying to hire that same person full-time. And a lot of times companies don't need 20 hours a week of Stacy. Maybe they need 10. Right. Or four, they don't certainly don't need forty, and so the Stacy now has the flexibility to give ten or twenty or thirty mm -hmm. um, in a fractional way. She's only got forty to give unless you work extra. Um, so you're going to give some of it to other clients. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of the trade-off is that mm -hmm. that 
employers got to split the person with another person. But as long as it's a full-time fractional person, uh-huh. you're still responsive. You're still there. You're still available. And you're sharing your talents with multiple companies. So it's a, it's a real win-win, especially mm-hmm. going into today's uh, or tomorrow's economy. Right, right. The other, one of the other uh, values I think that they can benefit from is um, real-time learning right? That's transferable, right? As, as a fractional, right? I'm working with say three different clients. And so learnings that I, I gain from one, um, you know, program or strategy with one, one client, um, we can, we can take those lessons and apply them again in the now. Right. And so, so I think there's also real-time benefits of, of working with someone who's very plugged in, um, and testing, uh, things across, um, you know, various, uh, uh, companies and clients. Yeah. Well, I, I like to think that uh, at your CMO, we scale wins. So mm-hmm. a small win or a big win or a win that any client has, uh, not only can that CMO share it with another client, like you mentioned, but because of our peer-to-peer, we can share it with each other when share it with multiple clients. And we can truly scale the wins that our CMOs are having with their clients in a way that you can't get from a hiring a full-time person. You can't get it from an agency. You can't get it from uh, an independent fractional CMO. You can only get it from a organization like ours. And, and I think that's a huge value proposition for uh, prospective companies for sure. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, let's switch gears a little bit. What, uh, what does Stacy like to do for fun outside of work? Um, well, I'm a family gal. Um, so <laughs> I love spending time with my family. I have uh, two adult children, so I am a bit of an empty nester, but still love spending time with them. Um, and my husband and I would say we're a bit of adventure seekers, right? So we love to travel. Um, and you know, in most of our travel seek new adventures, the Caribbean's our favorite, one of our favorite destination spots, the different islands. Um, but when we're here, um, I'm based in Colorado. And so, you know, just enjoying the outdoors, the beauty out here, um, love getting in the mountains, um, hiking. Uh, we also own a boat. So we go boating in the reservoirs around here and, uh, yeah, just, uh, very active, staying very active. I'm a soon-to-be empty nester myself. So share with me the joys of empty nesting. <laughs> oh, I can focus on me and and my husband and uh, doing some, you know, kind of this new chapter, doing some things that we're passionate about, more more of that traveling. Um, we, our kids were very active in sports. So, you know, the weekends, the nights, we're always getting them to and from the courts and fields. Um, and stuff. So yeah, it's, there's that freedom is really nice. Um, the con, um, one of my, one of my kiddos is in California, so they're not close. Uh, but again, um, a good portion of our traveling is going to visit her and, and visiting all parts of California as well. So, yeah, it gives you an excuse to travel or a place to, Absolutely. to travel for sure. Yep. Um, so we've got one left and, uh, we're looking forward to, um, what our next chapter looks like as well, mm-hmm. but I know there'll be some sadness that goes with it. Just missing the, that activity and, and, uh, being, a, you know, close to your kids. But I found, I don't know if you've seen it yet with your kids, a few of my kids, two of my kids have been out of college for a couple years ish each, mm-hmm. and they're going through all these career 
decisions and journeys and, mm-hmm. uh, and they come back and they ask questions to mom and dad and yeah. they want advice and experience. And I just have got, I have personally got a lot of joy about ex- participating in that experience, you know, as a consultant, almost to my kids, you know, I don't want to tell them what to do. I want them to figure it out, but I'm glad that they appreciate my input. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's also energizing to, just to, uh, this is what you say, living vicariously through them because sure. the possibilities they have at this age and, uh, all the routes they can go and the choices they make, it's just, it's, you know, it's whatever they want it to be. They're just, yeah. It's like they, at this stage, they can't make a wrong decision. It feels like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love those adult conversations and, you know, being more of a, honestly, a friend, um, than the parenting and, um, and then also I don't mind sharing it, you know, if I knew, you know, then what I know now, I would have done this differently, a few lessons, you know, and things like that. But um, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's like being a fractional parent, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we we contrast that right now with with a daughter who's a senior in high school, and so we still have to be very much a, you know, a parent, uh, hands on more than uh, we'd like at times, but. Uh, then we have these uh, young adults that are, we can't parent it. My daughter came home last weekend and she spent the, uh, the weekend with us and she went out with friends one night and they went across you know, an hour drive away and, and she didn't come home. I, I assumed she was spending the night out at her friend's house. And Amy, my wife was, where's, where's Julie? Is she coming home? And I go, she's probably spending that. Well, she didn't tell us. She didn't, uh, she's an adult. She's not, you know, she doesn't have to. So the next day, Amy's like, it would have been nice right. if you would have told us, Julie. She goes, well, I'd been used to being out on my own. And remember I had to tell mom and dad what I'm doing. I know we still worry. We still worry. Yeah. yeah. For sure. yeah. But when they're away in California, we worry a little less, I think, than when they're sitting in our 60 mile proximity. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I will say I'm happy that our kids have the same interests and likes too, you know? So my big thing is, um, and I mentioned the Caribbean, I love, I really want all of us to be get scuba certified. We've done our first dive in Cosmel, but we've not been scuba certified. And so I'm like, okay, Christmas gift, but then they both have significant others. And yep. so I'm like, okay, with, you know, so I had to ask both the significant others, would you be interested in, you know, diving and getting your, you know, and they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, great. You know, and stuff. So. Yeah. You're, it gets expensive as they grow. You've got plus one, yeah. <laughs> for time. For sure. for sure. We took our, um, our whole family this summer to Costa Rica. That was a big mm-hmm. trip for us. And mm-hmm. we didn't know if everybody would be able to make it because they have vacations. They have to request off time off. Mm-hmm. And, but we were able to get everybody, all six of us there. And, but we specifically said no significant others. That's an expensive yeah. trip. And, yes. uh, and they were okay with it, but, yeah. um, Holidays are different. There'll be plenty of significant others around right. Thanksgiving and family's Christmas. growing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, what is boating like in Colorado? Is it cold water? Like can you is. get in the water? It White is. You, what do you do? July, you can get in the water. Um, it's, it's not like the ocean. Um, like my daughter, you know, she, uh, kind of went to school in slow. And so the central part of California and they're all wearing wetsuits when they're surfing. Right. So no, you don't have to do that. Um, and stuff seventies, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, the reservoirs, you know, there's, 
not a lot of water. So everyone goes to the same destination. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, so, you know, lots of you know, different lakes and things like that. But uh, you go to Lake Mac. No. Where's that? McConaughey. Oh, McConaughey. Uh, I've heard about it. I actually haven't been there yet. But um, so we go to Horse Tooth and Carter and up I mean, to Glendo, um, which is up in Wyoming. And but our favorite place is Lake Powell, which is oh, so wow. far down yeah. right now. Yeah. And so, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. We love. Uh, so the, the water's really low in Lake Powell. It is. It is. Yeah. Some areas you can't get to that you used to be able to. Yeah. What's the prognosis? Is it going to fill back up? I nature will tell, you know, we just, I don't know. We have to have lots of good snowpack years and yeah. Um, not anytime soon. I don't think. I think I heard there might be a, uh, a wet and, and snowy winter for, for many of us. And that's, that'd be helpful, right? That would be great. Yeah. How much skiing do you do? I personally, the rest of my family does ski. I snowshoe. Um, I actually, it, it's my fault because I had um, knee problems when I was in high school, had surgery. And, you know, as you get older, it probably needs to be relooked at. And so um, I don't ski, um, but I love snowshoeing and yeah, getting up in the mountains and playing in the snow. Yeah. What is, is snowshoeing just like hiking with big flappy feet? It is <laughs> kind of like a racket on your, and they're, they're not like, racket. yeah, I've seen them. But yeah. so yeah. Uh, what is the purpose of the racket? Is it because you're walking on like fresh packed snow and it, and it keeps you from falling through is that you can yeah you can walk in two to four feet of snow it's a great workout um and stuff as you sink it won't let you sink all the way uh, okay. so yeah yeah oh and snowmobiling is the other winter sport i love now i heard that is um that can be quite incredibly dangerous <laughs> how do you snowmobile tell me well, you, we rent, we go to like Grand Lake and, and it will, uh, you know, they, they have different areas that, um, the park and stuff like that, that you can go back into and just, it's just this open kind of like a bowl, right. Just open snow area and you just kind of go wherever. Um, and as long as it's, you know, not crowded, which they, they do to try to control that and stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I have a couple of friends that like are very aggressive, uh, snowmobilers. Oh. And they go like all over the place, tipping over sideways, upside down. It's like dangerous people getting injured. Um, it, sounded, it sounded a little bit too much for me. So there is a, a more passive um, scenic way to snow. Yes, probably, yes more controlled. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, it's probably like whatever your taste, whatever your temperament. <laughs> yeah, it's a difference between maybe like dirt biking and, and riding a moped. Right. Exactly. I, I prefer the moped. Mm -hmm. I'm not much of a dirt bike or Harley guy. I've never, ever ridden. No, nope. I've done moped. I've not done motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. I got a little, I got a little moped for my son when he was uh, in high school because we needed an extra car. We have four kids, so we just couldn't buy six cars just to make any sense. So I got him a moped and uh, he loved it. He was riding back and forth to school. And then my daughter, who's just a couple of years younger than him, when it was time for her to get a car, I said, well, we got this moped. She goes, dad, I'm not riding the moped. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> I, wear, I, I wear dresses. I wear, I'm a cheerleader. I can't wear. Oh, like, the hair. The hair. Yeah, so yeah. She, she got a car. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that probably suits her. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. 
Well, good. Well, I'm excited to visit you in Colorado. I'll be out there uh, this weekend, but I don't think I can sneak in a visit. We're, we're taking my son uh, on a trip to Estes for the weekend. So we'll be out there enjoying the nature. But um, when I do get out there in person, we'll spend some more time together and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you need to know of any good hikes in Estes, I can send a couple of my faves. Oh, what are your faves? Um, Gem Lake is really good. And, um, but you always remember you have to probably have reservations right now, uh, just oh, because really? of ever since the pandemic, um, I think, I think they've kept the reservations and I think it's, I want to say, uh, Lily Lake, um, is one that doesn't need reservations, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot, there's probably at least a dozen different trails up there, but those are two of my favorites. I didn't even think that we need a reservation. So I, I I'll, I'll check into that. Oh yeah. And if you're going into Rocky mountain, the national park. Make sure that, yeah, yeah, check into that. Okay. Well, thanks for the warning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went up there with my sister one time and we had to turn right back around. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, I better do that. Hopefully it's not too late. My wife was killing me. <laughs> you should be good. I think it's just okay. the day before. Yeah. Just the day before. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Well, Stacey, thanks for being on the, the podcast. It was a lot of fun and uh, I'm sure our guests enjoyed it as well. But thank you very much for your time. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, and I look forward to, I guess, talking to you soon. <laughs> yeah. And Thanks, to Joe. Our yeah. And to our listeners, thank you. Uh, look forward to talking to you further. If you want to reach out to Stacy, if something she said sparked your interest, if you want to figure out what size snowshoe she wears or anything else, um, you can reach her at Stacy at uh, yourcmo.com, Y-O-R-C-M-O.com. But is there any place else, Stacey, you'd like people to reach out to you? Sure. Um, I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to reach out and yeah, look forward to it. Okay. We'll have those uh, contact details in the show notes. So look forward to talking to everybody next week. Thank you for listening and we will talk soon. And that's a wrap. There's another successful episode of the Fractional C-Suite Retreat. See our show notes and more episodes at fractionalcsuiteretreat.com. This podcast is sponsored by Your CMO helping organizations grow, save time and money with better marketing strategy and fractional execution. Visit them at yorcmo.com, yourcmo.com, spelled wrong on purpose.